Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This summer season, we are changing course slightly to talk about a book our women's ministry has recommended as a summer read, Companions in Suffering, Comfort in Times of Loss and Loneliness, written by Wendy Alsop. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Angel Williams and Regina Martin. Aaron, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you, Angel, and Regina know one another and the connection that you share. Okay, yes, we are all in seminary at City View here in Augusta, and we get to enjoy class together every Thursday night. They're smiling at you like they like you. Oh, mostly. just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> right? We have a good time. How many years have y'all been in class together? This is, We're ending our second year together. And you're coming up on your last class. Tonight. Tonight's Tonight the night. Tonight is the last class. Yes. That's exciting. It is. Well, I was talking to Regina just a minute ago, and she was talking about going back to school later in life and the challenges and joys of that. And Angel, are you in your second year as well? We're, Regina and I start at the same time. I'm really grateful that the two of y'all have decided to join us today. And we're going to kick off the way we always do with our first things first question. So I'm going to ask you the question. And you're going to give me first a brief bio of yourself and then answer the first things first question. And the first things first question is who was your first best friend and what is one of your fondest memories of her? And Angel, you get to kick us off. My best friend was Amanda. Um, Amanda and I, I, I went through some hardships, suffering, you know, and early on in life. And so I wanted to be able to ride a bicycle, just plain and simple, wanted to ride a bike. And I couldn't um, because of all of the health challenges and issues, I was not allowed to ride a bike. So she snuck and allowed me to ride a bike. And it was the best thing ever. I fell off the bike and she almost had a heart attack, <laughs> My <laughs> yeah. word. but it was great. So I was able to ride that bike. And so from there, we there was just a connection and we've stayed connected all these years. And did she sneak you her bike? She snuck me her bike. Yep. And do you remember where you rode it? I'm sure it was it was where no one could see. So we was on the side road. No one could see. We were sneaking. We just I just felt so free. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you did your first ride on the bike with no training wheels. You just well, hopped I knew on how it? to ride a bike. Okay. But I just wasn't allowed because when I was 11, I was shot in my stomach. So I wasn't allowed after that to do anything that would cause any harm, just like shelter. And so it was just so wonderful to be able to ride that bike again mm-hmm. with the wind in my hair. I yes. love it. Have that feeling of freedom. Yes, yeah, it was wonderful. An adventure. It That's was. a good friend. All right, well, give us a little bio on yourself. You told us just a little bit. Tell us a little bit more. So my name is Angel Williams. Um, I'm married to, I call him Mr. Chocolate. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> So he is, um, we're definitely in love. You know, he's my best friend. Um, We have six children plus two. So we raised eight children. Our family is really big to us. I'm still in corporate America. So I work every day, still in full-time ministry with my husband as well. So we have our children, we have our grands, um, just living life. Uh, So that's a little bit about me. That is a very full life what it is that is a lot going on but oftentimes my favorite thing is when y'all come twinning to class or at least like a little matchy i love that part yeah we typically do we typically you know we're the little matching couple walking down the road all that good stuff yeah we really are best friends That's adorable <laughs> it is really cute and if you're best friends after raising eight children then you're best friends you got a spark yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm in love no that's great <laughs> all right regina what about you Well, my name is Regina Martin, and uh, I am retired two years this past March. Started seminary um, almost at the same time that I retired. I used to work for a public utility, and for about 35 plus years, I have been um, a trainer and a facilitator by profession. So I'm used to talking and talk for a living. I love sports. I am a sports observant. 
meaning I like to watch it, but I can't really play anything. <laughs> What's your favorite one to watch? Uh, my favorite one to watch is basketball. It moves so quickly and everything looks so smooth and graceful. It's almost like ballet with five, ten people doing it at the same time. Don't Did you started. win your bracket? Did I bring my record? Did you win your bracket? No, I did not. Oh, I'm Nobody sorry. did. Nobody I'm picked sorry. that, Aaron. Nobody Nobody, Nobody, Nobody knew that. Did. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess I'm showing my non-basketball cards. <laughs> yes, yes, you are showing that you are not a sports participant or an observer. Oh, boy. Um, let me get back to business. I am the mother of two children. I have a daughter, Karis, who lives in Jacksonville, and my son is Ernest Cameron, and also a honey. That's my name for grandma. Mm-hmm. And she will be three on June the 9th. She shares my son's birthday. And he used to always call it June the Knife. My birthday is June the Knife. <laughs> cute. He really likes really knives. That's <laughs> cute. Awesome. Swords, I should say. Yeah. Well, my best friend, my first best friend was Yvonne. And I think we were maybe seven or eight when we first met. I moved from another portion of Augusta, the hill, to downtown Augusta. And we met in my backyard And I just remember being around her. She had three younger sisters. And I did share earlier, I'm an only child. So whenever I went to her house, it was like being part of a tribe. I got the experience of being with sisters. So we did chores together. We cooked together. Whenever I spent the night, it was almost like a a little sorority. And then I got all the benefits. And then the next day, I could go home and have all of my things to myself again. (laughs) Nobody's sleeping in your room nobody wearing your clothes absolutely all the benefits with none of the downside what about you all right so i have a long time friend that i still keep up with like we were marco poloing this morning so it is a gift like friendship's such a gift it is and i remember telling her when we were really little i'm only four months older than her but i remember telling her that i kept her in the nursery (laughs) stop So apparently I've been up to no good for, uh, I don't know, some years, but some memories. I don't even know if I can remember like an early fond memory, but I think key key memories that come to mind once we crashed a golf cart into her mom's van, the Aerostar, that was a low point, but a high point. <laughs> one, one summer, her parents bought like a five gallon bucket of coffee flavored ice cream. Have y'all ever seen like the, I mean, just enormous. And they kept it in like the deep freezer in the laundry room. And I think we ate that thing single handedly. I wasn't even into coffee, but I'm pretty sure we polished off that five gallon bucket by ourselves that summer do they sell ice cream in five gallon buckets okay maybe they we do? were young it yeah. seemed really big it could i don't know don't quote me on the size okay. it seemed really we'll go with really large five <laughs> gallons maybe i mean who could I'm even lift that a big old bucket of you know facts you ice know, cream facts with spoons much. just stuck in the top of it you just come back to you. i just i mean we're outside digging in the dirt we go get some coffee ice cream i don't know questionable no. activity that's funny Well, my best friend's name growing up was Kendra, and we had a lot of fun memories, too. But one of my fondest memories with her is that we made up a language, sort of. She read about it somewhere, and it was called like the AB language or the AB language. And you essentially insert an AB in front of every syllable. And it sounds like this. Well, Ben, a bye, we'll buzz you bung. A bye, a bong. A Ben, a bay, la bang, go bitch. Well, Ben, my bye for Ben. A band would be kabud, tabodabobobli. 
I hope that's not the resume. Be Jabba. Oh my word, she's still going. So what did I say? When I was young, I talked a special language with my friend, and we could totally understand each other. Now, if she was sitting across the table from me, she would have gotten every word. We got so good at it. I was a little faltering there, but we were so good, we could just rattle that off, and we'd take bus trips to camp, and we'd just be the and especially to annoy the boys. So it was really fun that it really was the secret language. It wasn't all that complicated, but as you can tell, nobody could understand it. And so we had a lot of fun. And there's something special about speaking the same language as someone. And maybe that's just literally the same language, but sometimes it's a soul language, a heart language. And what we're going to be talking about today is that it's a special thing when you can speak the language of suffering and comfort with somebody else. We're talking about Wendy Alsop's book, Companions in Suffering. And that's one of the big words, companions. What does it look like to walk through life in suffering, not being alone. Our last episode, we did talk with Wendy herself, and she is the author, like I said, of Companions in Suffering. And she talked with us about chapters one and two, and she shared with us her story of ongoing suffering and the companionship that she found in God's word, with Christ himself, and with God's people. And now today, we're going to be talking about chapters three and four, the titles of which are Fellowship and Suffering, that friendship, that companionship and suffering, and what it looks like to plead for rescue. So we're going to begin with fellowship and suffering. And Wendy describes at the beginning of this chapter, alienation that she felt from others in the midst of her suffering. She says, you know, whereas loneliness involves just not having something or being without people in your life, alienation speaks more to losing a connection with a community that you've already had, that you've previously enjoyed. So an example would be, I moved to a new town. I don't know anybody yet. I'm lonely. But alienation feels like I've gone to said church for my whole life and then something happened and I left that community. I no longer belong to it. I see those people that I'm not in their lives and they're not in mine. And that's a sense of alienation. And so she talks about how suffering breeds that sense of alienation. You may know what she's talking about. And this is the quote that she has. She says, during the time when my marriage was disintegrating, and again, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I found that numerous people with whom I had previously enjoyed social and spiritual interactions felt more and more distant. We could still be in the same room, but it felt like we couldn't talk about the same things. We still sat on the same pew at church, but seemed to have much less in common. She goes on to say, whether others were alienating me or I was alienating myself, the end result was feeling like a pariah. On the outside, looking in, no longer able to partake freely in the things that I once enjoyed. And she said, the hard truth I found during my long seasons of struggle and that fellow sufferers have also testified to is that relationships with others who aren't suffering really do change. Some folks who aren't suffering may feel threatened by your intense suffering, and they can endure with you for a little while during the season when you still have hope that your suffering will end. But when easy solutions fail and you've got to settle into the marathon of endurance, few have what it takes to stick with you to the end. So she talks about what is it like to suffer, particularly to suffer on long-term, a long-term type of suffering that doesn't have an end date and nobody can predict when it's going to end and they stick with you, but they can't stick with you in the long run. Many of us, I feel like, can relate to that. We know that feeling. We know how painful it is. But during that experience of alienation, Wendy talks about the fact that the Lord used his word to encourage her. Um, He used himself to encourage her, but he also used his community to encourage her, the body of Christ. And she refers to 2 
Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, and she says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And Regina and Angel, you're both shaking your heads, yes. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your stories of what this looks like in your own lives. And I just want to highlight before you all say those just two quick things from that verse that she pulled out, the words all and any. She said, you know, if you look at that verse, it's all of our sufferings in any kind of trial. And she said what she realized through that is that you can relate to fellow sufferers. They may not experience your exact kind of trial, all sorts of sufferings included, and you can apply it in any way. But if you've experienced any kind of suffering, you have the ability to enter into someone's else, someone else's suffering. And then that Greek word comfort just means that fellowship, you know, the, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is very similar and it means comforter. But this one has that particular nuance of to invite to come alongside to walk alongside so in any and all suffering to come alongside what has that looked like for you have you had friends who have suffered in ways that are similar or ways that are different from you and because of that have been able to come alongside of you and how has that been helpful and regina you kick us off Oh, wow. I was nodding my head and and just thinking back. Absolutely. There was a period in my life where my mother, who was very vibrant, she was a lifetime educator and trailblazer and just an all round, all in type of person, very dynamic. I would always describe her as a force of nature. And I had the I guess, opportunity to watch her descend into dementia Mm. and Alzheimer's. And not only did her mind decline, so did her physicality. She fell, broke her hip. And once she did that, it it became um, 24-hour caregiving. Mm. She was bedridden. Mm. She had to be fed. She had to be changed. And Mm. in most of that she didn't recognize the people that had been closest to her. It was very painful for me, and and watching and attending gave me some busy work, but it also separated me from the people that I was closest to in my church family. I, I did share earlier that I am an only child, so the weight of it and being the only person that she could really look to, I felt responsible. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was my duty to be there to take care of her. And I backed away from everything that I could. I stepped back from church work. I, I lowered my work responsibilities as much as I could so that I could be available not only to help and assist her, but my father support him. This was his wife of some 60 plus years. And in the middle of that, my best support, my wonderful best friend was my mother's sister, my aunt, and her name is Salome. She was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer Mm. at almost the same time that my mother went into a really, really difficult period of decline. So now I'm trying to care for both of them. Mm. And I literally kept saying, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? What's going on? And it was constant care. I really had very little time for myself. And in the middle of this experience, I met the most wonderful woman. Her name is Kathy. She was trained at our church 
uh, to be a Stevens minister. And it is a program of some eight weeks and 40 hours of training where you learn to support someone that's going through a period of sorrow, uh, adjustment, just difficulty in general. And she was the most wonderful comfort to me. She was going through her own health crisis because she had um, congenital heart issues as a young woman. But she would make a way to send me a card or a phone call at the most opportune time. I would walk to the altar when I did have the ability to go to church or the opportunity to go to church, and I would feel her hand on my shoulder. And even though she didn't speak a word, the fact that she found me, she saw me, and she came and just made her physical presence wonderful, just there for me without speaking to it. It was the most comforting thing that I can, I can't even give you words to how that supported me and made me feel loved and connected because most people were were running. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to hear me complain. You know, it's like, how's your mom? Okay, fine. And I need to go or I need to run. Nobody wants to be that close to your suffering. They know that you are and they recognize it, but it's, it's kind of like a car accident. You, you walk past it thinking, wow, I'm glad that's not me. It is really the feeling. But mm-hmm. she, Kathy, is still a, a dear friend of mine. And she just found the most imaginative ways. I would get a bouquet of flowers for no reason at all. She really went above and beyond to extend herself to me in that period. Mm. And I'm still grateful, mm. still grateful. Well, I just think as you're mentioning that, that she had her own health struggles. So she would have known to some degree, at least what it feels like to struggle long term with health. And possibly because of that struggle, she would want to know how to minister. I mean, she put thought and training into doing that. And yet she had a natural desire to reach out to you because she understood that. And those ways that she would have known to offer that comfort and just what you're saying with her presence or something beautiful or just something to know. I see you. I know you. I care about you. You're valuable. I see you in the midst of your struggle. I can't make it go away, but I can walk in it with you. And when you said that part about a lot of people don't want to enter into that. Like, I think that's a great example. That car accident, you just drive by and think, I'm so glad that's not me. That that we can, even in our theology, have this thought that somehow suffering's catching. Like, I got to keep my life on track. I got to do A, B, and C. Something must have happened in your life to get it off track. I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm so sorry, but I'm over here taking care of business so that doesn't happen to me and not stop and enter into somebody's suffering for various reasons. Very true. What about you, Angel? For me, I can remember um, my mom has had stage four cancer for 10 years, but we've always had a strained relationship. You know, we're not we're um, she's my biological mom. So when this happened, I was talking to the Lord and he was telling me, hey, you know, you have to be there for her. This is this is our moment for us to really build a bond that we never built. So as she would go through her treatments, one of the things I started making those days was like our girl's day. So every month when she would go to that treatment, we knew the doctor would laugh like, where are you going to eat today? Um, what are the girls going out to do? So we'd go get nails done. We'd go to the hair salon. We'd go to dinner and to whatever she would ask. And then after the end of that, uh, when we would leave the spa or wherever we were going, I would always call my siblings and say, Hey, this is what the doctor said. He said, this is what's happening. This is how much the cancer has grown or not grown. This is what. So I would always give them a recap. 
But I would notice my mom would get upset with me. I'm like, we just had a wonderful day and now you have an attitude. Like, why do you have an attitude? And this went on for months. And I'm, I would go home and tell my husband, like, I don't get it. Like, I'm doing everything possible, but mom has an attitude. So one day we were at the Lydia house, um, you know, the Lydia project. So we were there and the counselor was just talking and my mom was giving feedback to another cancer survivor. She was, count, you know, kind of encouraging them. And so I listened to her say, when I'm with my daughter, it's a break from everybody asking me questions. She didn't want me to tell my siblings because then they would bombard her with questions. She wanted a break from everything that was happening. So I didn't realize how I had become her companion. I was her reprieve away from all of the doctors, away from all of the family, away from everybody crying and doing all those things. And so that day we had a breakthrough and it was mom. Now I understand. So that day we made a covenant. I'm not telling them anything. If they want to know what's happening with the doctor, they'll ask you because she also shared with me. She said, I know what each one of my children can handle. So she would tell one a little piece and she would tell another a little piece and she would tell another little piece. But I was the only one who had the whole story because I could handle the whole story. She didn't want me to fix it. She didn't want me to come up with answers. She just wanted me to be there and to take her away from everything that she was going through. So she can have her moment of just being a lady of just talk. We would, you know, have our God stories, talk about faith, do all of those things. And that's all she wanted. From that, I learned being a companion is listening to what they need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was trying to give my siblings what they needed, which was information. But the person who needed the most was the person who was going through it. Yeah. Yeah. And from there, I had to learn, hey, just give her what she needs. And we still do that. Mm. I'll say, Mom, I think you might need to tell them what she was like. Hmm, I'll think about it. <laughs> you know, I'll think about it. And so from there, that's how I, that, I was her. I'm, I am currently her companion in suffering. Yeah. And if there's something she doesn't understand, she calls me. If there's something she wants me to action, she'll tell me. But if she doesn't tell me to do anything, I, I'm just there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes being a companion is just being there. Mm -hmm. Well, in that part that you're saying that you're willing to continue being there, you could say, I mean, I did all this. I, this is what I thought you wanted. This is what I thought was best. And you got an attitude with me. And well, that's fine. I don't want to do that anymore. Exactly. But instead of doing that, it was that continuing on listening, even when you didn't really know maybe what to ask her it's not like you said mom why do you have an attitude and she told you oh no but just I did you, one day oh you did one day <laughs> no I did one day it's like mom I can't take it I was like I am here why do you have an attitude no oh no I told her one day yeah, and I would go back to my husband and I would be upset and he was like maybe there's something else you yeah. know my husband's so compassionate he was like maybe there's something else you don't understand babe I was like no but I'm here and so it, and now I understand but she couldn't articulate it yeah sometimes you can't articulate what you need mm -hmm. I had to listen to her talk to someone else mm -hmm. and then the light bulb came off that that's all she needed was yeah. me to be there and not to share with everyone what was happening yeah but listening mm-hmm do you have, because our next question leads into that, is is how have you been a companion to somebody else? How have you seen your own suffering enabled you to be a companion to someone else? And so Regina is going to talk to that, I believe. But Angel, did you have anything you wanted to share about how somebody's done that for you? Um, you know, for me, my my husband is my best friend. And I've already said that, you know. Mr. Chocolate? Yes, Mr. Chocolate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I struggle. There are some days that I can walk well. There are some days I can't. There are some days that I'm struggling. Um, but one of the things that he does is he lets me, he, he follows my lead. Um, if I'm ha- he doesn't pressure me to example, this week has been a rough week for me. So Monday and Tuesday, I did nothing. I don't think the man even had food, dinner or anything. No, I didn't even feed him this week. <laughs> but on those days, he understands that I'm not able. And then he comes alongside me to either comfort, to be help, to help me with household things, just to be there. Um, sometimes when you need a companion, there are times that you're really frustrated and he gets the blunt of it. If I'm in a lot of pain and I'm frustrated, he's going to get it because he's the closest person to me, but he never takes it personal. Mm. Mm. So he is just, that's why he's my best friend. He really understands the plight that I'm going through. He understands that there's good days and bad days, highs and lows. And through it all, he is the same person the whole time. He is really my blessing. What do you think makes him able to do that? Now he's just a good guy, (laughs) but, but really, but, but really, um, I think because he spends so much time praying for me, Mm. it is easy. um, You can be alongside someone, but it's easier when you pray with them and you pray for them. Then God gives you insight on how to handle and how to deal with things. Um, And because of that, because that time, I believe he spends praying for me. The Holy Spirit gives him insight on what to do, how to do it on the times that he needs to be strong. And sometimes they just that sometimes I don't want him to be strong because I don't want to feel weak. Yeah. Yeah. And so he knows those differences in those dynamics. Well, when you're saying that, that time to pray and, and for the Holy Spirit to lead into what that he can do to help, it, it really also helps it not be personal. I know for me, when I'm trying to help somebody and I feel like I'm trying to help somebody and I'm trying to figure it out or whatever it would be, and it doesn't work or it doesn't quote, I'm doing my quotey fingers, doesn't work. It's just a reminder to me that it's about me. You know, and when you take somebody to the Lord and you pray with them about that, you're waiting on the Lord to do that. So it doesn't feel as personal if if things don't go according to plan exactly. or things are hard. It's not a burden. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're not carrying the load. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Regina, what did you think about how your own sufferings enabled you then? The experience of that comfort you've received has allowed you to give it to somebody else. Well, I I do see the hand of God in this entire endeavor. When uh, Aaron came to me and said, I want you to do this and I'm going to bring you the book. I I just said yes, because, you know, she has that effect on people. Uh uh And um, I I really didn't think about it. And then when she gave me the book, I think I shared with you before class, I have a friend of some 30 plus years. Her name is Gwen. And she has had MS for about 25 plus years. And her husband was her caregiver. He was the person that was always there for her. He took care of her medications, everything that needed to be done, running the house. He was able to do all of that for her. Well, her husband had a sudden heart attack and he passed away Mm. in um, this past October, Mm. this past October. And in the course of about four weeks, her husband was buried, her house was packed up and sold, and she was moved into an assisted living facility. And in the assisted living facility, she developed some type of infection in her blood. And, you know, now there's a life-threatening health crisis in the Mm -hmm. middle of all of this. Mm -hmm. 
And I have been walking with her through this entire process. And she has uh, incredible strength just to endure for as long as she has. But in the midst of grieving for her husband, her, her spirit was crushed and, and she was bereft. And then the health crisis, we were all worried that it would literally take her life because it looked like she didn't want to live. So I, I remember not having a health crisis of my own, but being there with people that were suffering and in pain at, at the point where they felt that not living would have been a blessing was a, a quiet, peaceful place where I could sit with her and affirm that. She she really wanted somebody to hear her say, dying might not be the worst thing that can happen because my husband's not here. I'm not well. What am I going to do? Who's going to help me and assist me? And for her children and her sisters-in-law, the people that were really close with her, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to entertain those conversations. Yeah. And I had the ability to sit with her and listen and just say, yeah, that might be true. That may be true because if you know the Lord and, and you are living in his grace and his salvation, death is not the worst thing that can happen. You already know you will see your husband again. There will be no pain. You know, this this is the goal. But is it in your timing or in God's timing? And I was able to give her that opportunity. I shared some of the sections of the book with her. And I, I said to her, it's okay that you feel that way. Mm -hmm. I, I'm okay. My, my shoulders are big enough to hear you say you might want to leave and, and not freak out. Mm -hmm. So it, it did. It allowed me to be peaceful enough with her that I could give her the grace to work through it. And then she started to say things to me, like, you know, bring me something good to eat, because you know, I have to eat. If I don't eat, I'm going to die. And we would laugh about it. And, and three weeks earlier, I would hide my tears from her. I would wait until I walked out of the door from the, the nursing home before I could let go listening to her talk about leaving. And slowly, God in his infinite wisdom, Holy Spirit invaded her presence. And she realizes now she wants to live. It's not going to be a perfect life. And it's still going to be a struggle. But I think being able to face it what's the worst that could happen what what would be the ultimate for me is to leave and let her face it and deal with it and work her way back and just the the patience that I developed in sitting in that room with my mom and staring at the wall I would think what's the worst that can happen the worst that can happen God is that she'll she'll die she'll pass away but is that really the worst and will it be her timing or your timing and having to just live and walk in that tension mm. of is it going to be in your time or will it be in God's time it's allowing me to give her that space as my dear friend and 
Again, I'm grateful that, you know, I can see the hand of God in working, preparing me by giving me this book before she fell into this situation. It it is. It's an affirmation that all things are working together. It, It may not look like it's for good in the beginning, but if you are walking in faith and you're accepting of what that suffering brings, it can be beautiful. It can bring you some flowers. Well, that's a beautiful way of putting that. All right. So moving on to chapter four, the title of that one is Pleading for Rescue. And Wendy begins it by sharing a text that she received from a friend who said she was praying Psalm 69 for her. And she's saying, you know, I know all these other Psalms, but Psalm 69, not familiar for her. So if you're not familiar with that and take a minute to pause and pull it up and keep it in front of you as we're talking through it. And you'll see kind of what Wendy was talking about, how this Psalm taught her how to pray. So this is a friend like the ones we just talked about, a friend with whom Wendy was able to share her deepest emotional burdens and a spiritual fatigue that she's texting with. And she describes the situation in which she received it. So this is a quote from her book. I was driving home after sitting with my dad, a dear support to me as I worked to find my way forward as a single mom who now lay in the ICU on a ventilator at a teaching hospital two cities away. Between my second and third cancer surgery, he nearly died after doctors punctured his lung and nicked a vein during a heart procedure. He already had congested heart failure and his heart struggled to recover. On top of that, I was scheduled to begin five weeks of daily radiation following my mastectomy the Monday after he landed in the intensive care unit. The multiple layers of weight, my dad on a ventilator, cancer in my lymph node, stress from my divorce... Along with all the sorrows, fears, and responsibilities that came with each, it pressed me down. Yet despite the weights, I had no choice but to move forward. The medical pressures of life for either my dad or myself would not wait on me to feel emotionally stable to face them. The sister in Christ who sent me this text was one who was able to comfort me. A living believer equipped by her own suffering to minister to me as the hands and feet of Jesus. She then pointed me to the next level of companionship I desperately needed in my trials. Companionship in the scriptures. Scripture feels daunting when we are in dark places of suffering, but it claims to have supernatural power as we see in Hebrews 4.12. When we are in our darkest places of suffering, we desperately need its supernatural power. So Wendy goes on to talk about how Psalm 69 opened up that supernatural power of God's spirit to her. So after reading through this psalm, a psalm of David, he penned at his lowest time in his life. Which phrases that David used did y'all resonate with? For me, it was, for the waters have come up to my neck. Mm. I'm drowning. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm suffocating. I'm overwhelmed. Um, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. That's what resonated with me. One of those things is how do I come up from here? And did I cause this? Mm -hmm. Is I can remember, um, you know, from my childhood when I, you know, I mentioned that I was, you know, I was shot when I was 11. So everything's over. Hey, we've had all these surgeries. I'm an adult now. I am good. Right before my husband and I got married, the doctor said, hey, we have to have another surgery. Okay. Well, can we hold this off until after my wedding? So we held it off and we were supposed to have surgery the week after my wedding. So we were married. We're excited. We're going to have this surgery. We're supposed to be in and out. We're going to be good. Well, I ended up on life support a week after getting married. My husband, after I was on life support, woke up. My husband said this was one of the darkest times of his life because we had just been newly married. Everyone had an opinion and was telling him what to do. 
no one fully trusted him because we're just ma- we're just married to make those kind of decisions for me. Um, that was this time where I'm saying, God, I've already gone through this and now I'm going through this again. Mm-hmm. What did I do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. I considered myself a good person. I considered to love God. I have faith. So why am I going through this? And sometimes there's just no answer. Some things are just for the glory of God. Mm. That was one of the toughest times of our marriage. But that is why we're strong now. Because we went through that together. And so that's what resonated with me. Mm -hmm. How about you, Regina? I think what jumped out at me most was you, God, know my folly. Mm. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. And I was sharing right before I I started seminary, my father passed away. My dad died on Sunday, and our first day of class was that Thursday. Wow. And I was overwhelmed because it was very sudden, and I am definitely, I'm still a daddy's girl, Mm -hmm. still daddy's girl. He was the rock of Gibraltar for me. And unlike my mom, his death was so sudden. It was so quick. And we had conversation, I mean, even about me starting school. And then for him to not be there, it shook me. It shook me to the core. But I kept thinking, you have got to walk through this in in a way that honors God. You got to walk through this in a way that's going to make him proud of the woman that you have become. And I felt that weight of being responsible for how other people see Jesus Mm -hmm. in the way that you walk through your trials. If you're falling apart, people don't see the strength and the comfort that comes from the Lord. And I felt that weight so terribly that it almost kept me from being able to grieve. I I wanted to be wrapped so tightly in, in representing that I wasn't giving myself the ability to be human. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now two years later, letting go of those feelings and working through them and allowing myself to grieve and, and to cry and to pour through all of his belongings and his papers and just let myself do it at my pace because I did. And it was nobody putting that pressure on me, but me, mm-hmm. I felt it. I felt it that I'm going to let people down. And a lot of times I think we bring our own suffering or we intensify our own suffering because we don't give ourselves the ability to be human. We think that the weight of the world is on us. Like the Lord really needs me to mm-hmm. be his only ambassador. There's nobody else that can do this right now. But Regina, mm. not. But we do, we do. So I, I'm, I'm learning even in this suffering a new lesson, a fresh lesson that I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to being able to share it with anybody. But I'll be prepared if I need to. That's a good word. And I don't know if you were necessarily trying to tie it in this way, but what you started out with was talking about how the Lord knows our folly and how you we do need to grieve. We are human and he knows us and he knows our weakness. He knows our frailty and he still loves us. And you're right. That weight is not on us. He gives us the dignity of participating and telling of his goodness. But it's not all on us. Like he wants us to take that moment to grieve. He knows our suffering. He's he feels the weight of this the sin and the sadness and the death in this world as well. So 
I love that the way that you, you spell that out. And Angel, when you mentioned the, um, the overwhelming, like, oh man, every time I feel that, that drowning feeling, that's exactly the, the words I use. So that resonated with me as well. So I hear both of y'all when you're speaking about it, how we we desire, we're made to long to be in God's presence. We're made to desire his favor. And sometimes when we find ourselves in those pinch points, we don't always sense his goodness and favor near us. And Wendy talks about in her book, how we're looking for that and how Christ has brought that favor to us. It is an unmovable fact about us as children of God that we have his favor. So how do we reconcile the tension between when we're in suffering and we don't necessarily feel God's goodness and favor next to us and that fact that it is secure that our ultimate favor or got Christ's ultimate favor is upon us as children of God. How do we make sense of that in just our day-to-day lives? For me, it is holding on to that hope, hope that won't make me ashamed. I love that part too, how she brought that out multiple times. That is, that is key for me. Understanding that that favor is not results. That favor is not God change it. That favor is not, I'm not going through for many years. I would say, well, God, if I'm favored, then why am I still in pain every day? Why am I still suffering daily? Why do I still have to go to so many doctors? Why? Why am I struggling? And in our faith, you know, I'm I'm, my background is Pentecostal and it's always, well, God's going to heal. God's going to heal. And so I went through years of saying, hey, well, God. Am I a candidate yet? (laughs) Like, God, is it my turn yet? God, Mm -hmm. when are you going to trouble the water for me? And I then had to move into the place of understanding that he has healed me because I'm not supposed to be walking, but I am. Mm. I wasn't supposed to have children, but I do. I carried them. So all of the things that I could not do, I'm doing. So that means God's favor is still there. It was just not the results that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So my hope has not made me ashamed. Every day I look at my children, I'm saying, God, you bless me with them. Mm-hmm. And then after I gave birth to those children, I was like, well, God, that's not quite the number I wanted. <laughs> like, God, I wanted more. You know, oh, and I felt wow. a little selfish. <laughs> like, God, I wanted more. You crazy. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what my husband would say. Oh, and I was like, God, but God, this isn't what I saw. And the Lord has blessed us where we raised additional children. We have so many spiritual children. Like I just have that call me mom. And so it's not exactly what I saw, but I'm favored. And every day these children come to me and call me ma or ask me questions or they're sitting in my house and no one can move because they're all on top of each other. That's my favor. So favor is not always in results. It is being able to see the hand of God working through it all. I love how you draw that out. And even just thinking about how if none of that had happened, even if you were bed bound or had no kids, we can still say that God is good and our hope is eternal. So I love that you're drawing that out and saying that God has poured his blessing on you and giving you some amazing healing in a house full of kids. Yes. Yours with your last name and beyond. Yes. I love that. (laughs) I thought it was a perfect way of just summing it up that it's not results. It's seeing God's hand in the midst of it and how we do see that. And we see it 
primarily like those promises that are given to us in scripture, like you said, that they're the ones that promise us these don't disappoint. And then you see them played out in a very tangible way that they're in that way. Lord, I don't earn your favor. It's not proof of your favor that I have these, these children, but a result of your favor that has been given to me through Christ is all these little people all on top of each other and can't even move. And I see it in that way. So yes. That's, sweet. that's great. How about you, Regina? Um, that's an excellent point. I love that. I do. Um, I think that I've gone through so much, you know, being a woman of a certain age, you just have to keep enduring and you see so many people that endure and losing so many people this whole season of COVID and, and that entire ordeal. A lot of people that were close to me, a lot of people that I know were lost. And I, I would ask God, why am I allowed to survive? Why am I still surviving and still seeking your face and, and still trying to be a part of what you're doing in this season? And he's slowly showing me sometimes it's about being able to support someone else. If the, the more experiences that you have, the more suffering and tragedy that you are able to face and live through, the deeper your roots get, like that tree planted mm -hmm. by the water. And, and trees don't get that big overnight. You, yeah. you have to be open and willing to accept what life brings because all of it's not good, but why are we suffering through it? And like you said, Angel, to, to bring glory to God. Mm -hmm. And in bringing glory to God is being able to share that with someone else, to be able to say to someone, no matter what it is that you're facing, you're gonna live through this, and not only are you gonna live through it, you're gonna be better because of it. Because I don't know about you ladies, but I did not feel that I would be better coming out of it, but I'm here to give testimony that I am. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult in God's economy that he doesn't waste anything. I, I like the passage, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. It's Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking at things now from a human point of view that is difficult, is frustrating, it's painful, but the other side of it is a beautiful reflection of who Jesus is and who Jesus wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And again, we're, we're all told that you got to share that when you get it, you got to share that. So it, it is a blessing, but it's difficult to get to the other side. And, and now I think I could get someone to the other side. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a particular joy in being able to share that, that almost furthers that in your own life I found in the, the some of the things that I've gone through that when the Lord uses that and I can share that with somebody else it further it deepens that understanding in my own self and and when you say you come out stronger I just was telling my 18 year old something discouraging happened to him recently it was just a minor thing but I said buddy you know to understand who the Lord is in this situation you may feel like I'm over spiritualizing my explanation to you of this but it's all those little ways that then prepare you for some of the big ways. And so it's kind of like you're saying, those roots continue to go deeper and deeper. And so when you recognize I'm better, I'm stronger, it's not because I'm better, I'm stronger per se. It's my roots have gone so deep. And I am anchored and just was thinking Psalm 46. I've read that recently. It talks about how if the mountains crumble, they fall into the sea, they rage. There is a river who makes glad the, the city of God and his streams go out. And that's who we abide by. And our roots go deep into that. And we are stronger because of it. So 
and and to have lived life a long time and be like that is not going to prove to not be true is such a gift to be able to share with other people kind of gives me chill bumps listening to you it does and i've been beating this drum lately so if i've said this before on the podcast please forgive me but it's worth repeating that that passage in acts 4 where it talks about we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard and i think that's part of walking through suffering is that we've seen the goodness of god even in things that our hard circumstances. We come out and know that He's carried us through them. He's provided for us in those hard places, and we can tell of His goodness even though our circumstances were less than desirable. Angel and Regina, thank you again for joining us today. Listeners, we hope that you will join us again in two weeks for our third episode in this summer series. Take us on your long walks on the beach. I do like those. Uh, Or if you're just walking through your garden, picking some tomatoes, also a good time. Hardy Morris and Elisa Jinx will be joining us to talk about chapters five and six, Help My Unbelief and Ambiguous Loss in our summer read, Companions in Suffering. We hope you will listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.